Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the afternoon services. It is certainly good to be back in Texas. For those of you who don't know, I was away in North Carolina and in Georgia for a wedding this past week, and it was really nice to see my friends again and to be part of a wedding. Uh, this Over the course of this summer, I've already been to two weddings, so you could say that marriage has been on my mind a lot recently, even if I'm not the one getting married. And at this past wedding, I also had the honor of being the best man. And in the other, two, the other three that I'm going to be at, I'll also have to participate in them. I know what you're thinking, always the bridesmaid, never the bride kind of a situation. <laughs> but it's really beautiful to be at these weddings. And it can really put a tear in your eye when you see two people who love each other so much become closer and become something that God has commanded them to be with marriage. And one rule that Ken's taught me a lot about with this summer internship is that you should always preach on something that you either know a lot about or that you've researched a lot. And well, I don't really know much, much about being married, but I do know something about being married to Jesus because everyone in this room is married, every Christian in this room is married to Christ because as the Bible says, the church is the bride of Christ. And so what I'd like to do today is talk about how what it means to be married to Christ and what our relationship to Jesus and to each other should be from that. And so the first thing that we need to think that it means to be married to Christ is that we are to submit to Christ. And it says in Ephesians 5, if you'll read that with me, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so what this Bible verse is telling us is that in marriage, the wife has the role to submit to her husband. Now that might not always seem clear to us or fair to some people, but that's just the way it is. That's the way that God has commanded it to be. And in our lives, we may want to go one way or another with our plans, but ultimately we need to submit to Christ and his plans. And when you look at some marriages and then some teamwork projects, they might not always they might sometimes clash, and that's because they're, uh, one because they're not working as a team. And working as a team is the kind of relationship that we need to have with Jesus and with God. And sometimes when we're working in a team, that means recognizing and realizing that the other part of your team, that other half of your team, knows better than you do. Because, and... So something that we need to be constantly praying about is that God's will and our will are the same because God's way is the perfect. And that and when we're working in our teamwork with God that we need to submit to his will. Because it says in 2 Samuel 22, verse 31, it says, This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And so when you pray... And when you ask God for help, pray that your plans are the same plans as God and that you submit to those plans 
and that you obey him and follow him in what he asks of you to do. And at the wedding that I was just at, when the bride was marrying the groom, she agreed to submit to him. And the man who officiated the wedding, which was also her uncle, he pointed out the really pretty story about Adam and Eve. And he pointed out that Eve, when you look at the story, she wasn't made from Adam's head so that she could rule over Adam, and she wasn't made from Adam's feet so that Adam could treat her like a slave. She was made by his, from his rib to be a helper, to be someone, to be a companion, to be part of his teamwork, as we we're pointing out. Because God wanted someone who would be a helper to Adam in his life and to submit to him. And so just as the angels in heaven are helping God enact his will up there, and we are God's helpers on earth, and we're not here to rule over God, and we're not here to be mindless slaves, but we are the ones who are to help God, gospel, and his message be spread on earth, and not our own. And we must submit to God. And every time that we follow God's commandments, such as turning the other cheek, or walking the extra mile, we, or when we, God asks us to love one another, we are submitting to his rule, and we are submitting to his way. So remember, the first thing is that we need to submit to Christ. The second thing that we need to keep in mind about what it means to be married to Christ is that Christ gave his life for us. And that means that we need to give our lives to Christ. It says in Ephesians 5, in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In John 15, 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, than, that he, than to lay w down one's life for his friends. And you hear in the news a lot of times about how a husband went into a fire to rescue his children and to rescue his wife, or how a man stepped in front of a dangerous animal so that his wife could survive or his, his family could survive. And I think those are beautiful examples of laying down one's life for one's friends. And why do they do this? Why is it that a husband will sacrifice his life for his wives or for his children? And it's because, I think it's because they do realize that life without them is nothing. And if they, and because they care so much about them, they're willing to sacrifice their lives for them. And in the same way, Jesus, when he died on that cross, without us, he would not be complete. He wouldn't be happy without the love of his bride, the church. And so in like manner, we are also to give our lives to Christ. And I can promise you that life without Christ, Jesus is no life without at all. It says in Mark 12, 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And not only is loving God a commandment, but it's necessary for our lives when we're thinking about this. Because as the Gospel of John says, Jesus is the light and the life of men. And Jesus gives us life through his word. And that means that not only do we need to live for him, but if we're not living for him, we're not living at all. It's like when you see plants, and they've done really interesting experiments with them, you can grab a light and you can place it in a certain area where the plants are. And if you move the plant, the plants will actually move to where the light is. 
they'll slowly rotate. It won't be immediate, but they'll slowly rotate to where the life where light is because light is what gives them life and nutrition. And the same way, we are to rotate our lives towards Jesus, always constantly going to where he is. If Christ goes this way, then we are to go this way because Christ is the one that gives us life. He gives us our nutrition. He gives us the meanings and purpose behind it. And so you need to rotate yourself as close to God as possible. And what are some ways that you may be able to do this? Well, you could go to devotionals as much as possible. You could have personal prayer. When we pray to God, are we not having a direct line towards God? Local evangelism. When was the last time we went out and helped preach in an area or just talked to someone at work or at, uh, at school about God? In a way, are we not, by sharing the word of God and by sharing that, are we not also not only aligning ourselves with God, but are we not also aligning others towards God and sharing in that light? And maybe it's uplifting a brother or a sister. I can't tell you tons of times when I think it's important that we, that we need to do this. It's very important to sometimes go up to someone and say, hey, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? And how often is it not that perhaps we're sitting alone in a corner deep in thought, and someone notices that, and they say, are you all right? Is there anything I can help you with? And maybe just by sharing a Bible verse with them, but being an encouragement to them, are we not giving our lives to Christ in that way, in serving him? Is that not also a good way to do such things? And also reflecting the love of Jesus Christ in our actions. By doing that, by uplifting other brothers and sisters, are we not reflecting Jesus, but also are we not in the way that we act and in the way that we're trying to be Christ-like? Are we not also giving our lives to him, trying to live the way that he wants us? Because from the marriages that I've been to, when they wed, they're literally giving each other to, they're giving their lives to one another. And they're leaving behind that independence that they once had as single people to be with this other person for the rest of their lives. And when you think about it, baptism is is the exact same way. Because you're making a covenant with Christ. You're saying that no longer am I going to live by myself in that world of sin and live in that lifestyle, but I'm going to live with you, with you, Jesus. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow what you are saying. And I'm going to give my life to you. Is not baptism the same way in that sense? And, in that, and if that's true, then we need to start living our lives in that way because we have given our lives to Jesus Christ. Because it says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a quote in the commitment book that, we've been stu- that Ken's been studying in the mornings with, and it's talking about carrying your, and it's a C.S. Lewis quote, But I love the ending of that quote because it's C.S. Lewis trying to explain what it means to carry our cross and to live with Jesus. And C.S. Lewis says, it's basically as if Jesus is saying, I want your entire life, I want to get rid of it, and I want to give you my own life. And in the way, that's what Christ is giving to us. He's giving us his life, and we need to be living our lives the the way he asks us to live. So we need to be giving ourselves to Christ. So that's the second thing. 
The third thing is that we are to be without blemish. It says in Ephesians 5, 26, beginning in verse 27, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We are the bride of Christ, and that also means being a faithful bride to Jesus. And how can we blemish ourselves in the world? How can we blemish ourselves in that way? Well, whenever we sin or we perform idolatry, are we not blemishing our lives? Are we not putting blemishes on our, on our bodies? And the time that we lie or the time that we muffle a business transaction or we say that we need more than we actually do need, is that not the same way as betraying Christ than when a man sees a woman who's not his wife lustfully or when he begins in a appropriate phone calls with someone who's not his wife. Is that not the same way? Are we not betraying the relationship that we have with God and that we promised God with baptism to live in a certain way? We promised God that we are going to live unblemished, that we are going to live with him firmly. And when we betray him, when we disobey his commandments, when we do things that God has told us not to do, to love him with all our hearts, to protect, to protect him and to defend him, is that not the same as cheating on him? And I remember one time a friend of mine, he came up to me and he said, and he, we were talking about certain struggles that some people had, and a brother came up to him and said, you know, I've been struggling with this, with this sin. And his friend said, well, I'm, going to sh I'm not going to sugarcoat it to you. You've been prostituting yourself out to God. You've been cheating on him, and there's, there's just no others to say it, but you've been betraying God. You've been betraying your love. And it says in Hebrews 13:4, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Because following this line of thought with what my friend said, remember Hosea and all that he had to suffer with his wife Gomer? God told him to marry an unfaithful woman. God told him to marry this woman who he knew very well would betray him. And he had to go time and time again to buy her back from the, from the men that she was committing all these evils with. And one can only imagine the amount of suffering that that prophet had to go through to take back his wife, who we read about his suffering, and he clearly must have loved her at some point, and to see all the suffering that he went through. And why did God make him go through all of that? Because God wanted to show Israel the kind of suffering that he was going through with them. Because every time they were out there betraying God with these idols and with these evil practices, they were breaking God's heart. They were betraying God. And if we are not careful, if we are not careful in our lives with the way we act, with the things that we say, I and mean even with the things that we often think about, we can also be betraying God and we can be cheating him out. And we can be nothing more than, than people like Gomer. And so we need to be careful. We need to be unblemished. 
And we need to put God as our priority in our lives because we need to remember the covenant that we have entered with, with God and now. We need to obey the commitment that we are in because if we do not, then we are cheating on the Lord and we're no good than what Israel was once. And the fourth thing is that Christ loves us and he takes care of us. And that means that we are to do the same. It says in Ephesians 5, verse 28, if you'll read with me. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife that she respects her husband. And God is nourishing us. So from what we read here in Ephesians, God is nourishing us, and he's taking care of us both physically and spiritually. And he is here to take care of us and protect us. And that means that we are to do the same with each other and with God. And it says in Ephesians, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you're also doing. And it also says in Ephesians 5.18, all the way to verse 21, And do not be, be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And through God's word, he is nourishing us and he is encouraging us. He's helping us to keep moving forward in our lives. So that means that we need to be helping each other and we need to be giving ourselves to each other. And we can be doing this through personal Bible studies with one another, with a, bi with a friend who perhaps you have a subject that you want to study about. Well, don't be afraid to say, hey, let's study about this. If we have questions about the Holy Spirit, about when did the church begin, about baptism, don't be afraid to encourage one another and take care of one another through Scripture. Because when Christ when you see the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to Jesus and they ask him questions, what is often Jesus doing? He's, he's quoting scripture. He's telling them, this is what the Bible says. This is what God's word says. And so in such the same manner, when you want to encourage one, one another, when you want to encourage a brother or a sister, let's read the Bible, study it. What does God's word say? Another way is to get to know one another. Get to know your fellow brothers and sisters. Get to know them. Get to know their strengths and their weaknesses. Because if you have a brother who's very strong in one way, but very weak in another, you may be very weak in that area, but you may be very strong in another. That's why God says iron sharpens iron. It's two blades of, of metal clashing against each other, making sure that each one of them are sharp. And so get to know one another. Get to know each other's strengths and weaknesses so that both of you may uplift each other so that you both may get to heaven. Pray for each other. That, m that is also another way. Sometimes perhaps we, don't under we underestimate the power that, that prayer has in our lives. But God's word is, God's prayer is great and it is powerful. 
And when you're praying for someone, and we're even saying, when you're even saying the word God bless you to someone, in a way you're praying to God and you're asking God, God protect this person, offering them thanks. And when you see oftentimes with Moses, when he was about to pass away, and with Joshua, he says God bless you to the people. He, he, he asks that God may protect them. And perhaps not in those words, but, he, but the apostles, the prophets, they're always telling people to God protect them, God bless them. So when you're praying for someone, you're praying that God may help them, may edify them, may, may bless them. And so it's a way, my dad kind of describes it as if you are kind of grabbing an invisible dome in a way, and you're saying, God, protect this person. Protect them from all evils that are coming around. So when you're praying for someone, that's what you're doing. So pray for one another. And have singings. Singing can sometimes be the most encouraging thing that you need. Because it's great to read the word of God. And it's great to pray. But sometimes you need to praise your Lord. And so having singings where you can come together and take care and encourage one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs can be great and encouraging. So have singings where you can encourage one another in that manner. Because God is taking care of us and we need to take care of each other in that way. Because that's our Christian duty. Because marriage is a beautiful thing and one day I hope that we can all experience that. But in the meantime, whether or not we're blessed in that manner, we need to be dedicated to our first love, to Jesus Christ, because of the covenant that we have entered with him. Because we are his church. We are the church of Christ. We are his bride. And nothing will be more beautiful than the day we can be together with him in all eternity. It's like with long-distance relationships. You see how they're constantly, you know, one side is constantly longing for the other side to see them. And one side is constantly sending letters and uh, gifts. And in a way, God is doing that with us. He's sending us letters through the Bible. He's telling us, this is what you need to do to come see me. I'm longing to see you. I cannot wait until the day that we can be together. And when we pray, we are doing that as well. We need to pray to God, Lord, may you come quickly. May the day when we can see you face to face come. And w I've seen my friends with who are in long-distance relationships, and when they're finally able to see the person that they care about the most, that is the happiest day of their life. And how greater will that day be when we can come together in heaven and see God, who we've been praying about for all, our, all these years, all our times, God who we've been talking about every single day. We can finally see him face to face. And we can finally see God for the way he is and the way he seems. What greater joy will that be when we can finally be with our Savior forever and ever. We can actually be in the presence of God himself in the way that he is. So we can go back to the way the Garden of Eden is. How much greater will that be? Well, that will be the most joyous day of our lives. Because it says in Revelations 19.7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Because we are the bride of Christ. And we are anticipating that day when we can be with Christ for all eternity. 
And later on it says in Revelation 21, beginning in verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from, say, from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no pain for the former things have passed away. What does it mean to be married to Christ? What means submitting to him? It means trusting in him. It means being without blemish with him. It means encouraging one another. And it also means anticipating the day until these words become true and we can see our beloved in heaven for all eternity. There's a beautiful poem I found. It's called The Sands of Time Are Sinking by Anne, our cousin. And it says, and it's a poetic way of, of what that day will be like. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not on the crown that he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. That's what it means to be married to Christ. It means to live like a faithful spouse to him on this earth, to be unblemished, to await that day when he will be with us for all eternity. Because what a great day that will be when we are finally rejoicing with him. And perhaps there is someone in this room who has not taken the steps to be married to Christ in, in baptism, to be committed to him, to submit yourself to him in that way. Well, now we offer you this opportunity of baptism to believe in the words of God, to take them to be true, to repent of your former self, to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, to be baptized, and to live eternally until that day comes when we will be with Christ forever. The song that we're about to sing is called Take My Life and Let It Be. And is that not a marriage? But take my life, let it be the way that you want it to be. Let us take our lives and let it be the way that we want God to have our lives be so that we can be with God forever in heaven, praising him for all eternity. So if you would like to be baptized, if you would like to be saved and be with God one day in heaven, uh, so that we can see our groom, so that we can be the bride, please come forward as we stand and sing. <laughs>